All right, well, we are starting our summer series uh, a little bit early, even though the weather is not agreeing with us. How many know that? It's like out there, it was snowing on me uh, the other day when I was mowing the lawn. And I thought, this is May. This is not, I, I actually was, like, it's the first time in my life I was actually wishing that it was a bird flying over me and not snow. And uh, yeah, you'll get that. And uh, man, but it's our series. And I love that. In our summer, we do uh, elongated sermon series. And this one's going to be about six, seven weeks. I might have just thrown a bonus weekend already. But uh, uh, we're going to look at fire in this series. And then we're going to look at prayer in the rest of the summer. And we're going to talk about dangerous prayers and prayers that are in the Bible that we can pray. But as we look at fire now, we're going to look at this and uh, look at the stories like Moses and the burning bush, uh, Elijah at Mount Carmel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a classic. Uh, we're going to look at the lake of fire. The Bible talks about that. Uh, the scripture, the fire shut up in my bones, tongues of fire, and our works being tried by fire. So there's a little variety there, and uh, all the scriptures will have to do with fire and uh, I, I just love that we get to do this. Today, it's Moses and the burning bush. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 and Acts 7. That's where I'm going to read from, Exodus 3 and Acts 7. And I'm going to read from Acts 7 first. Um, now, fire is fascinating. If you are a guy, you probably are fascinated with fire. I don't know what it is, but there's something about guys that when they discover matches and fire, and uh, there's just something about uh, fire that just attracts us and sucks us into it. And uh, incidentally, I do know that some people have bad memories with fire. I do understand that. And most of our, uh, our teaching will just deal with the scriptures on that. I know that you know when my wife was growing up, their house caught on fire and they had to move out for a little bit. Um, nobody was injured. I know some of you might have had more tragic stories and or been burned, and I understand that. And this is uh, just an apology on that. Just a, a, we understand, and we won't dwell too much on that. And then th this opening part will probably deal more on that than other times. So just wanted to make sure we were aware. Uh, but there's bonfires and candles and um, fireplaces and big fire pits. And uh, man, people will chase uh, fire trucks to see what's going on. Fire just fascinates us, and especially, again, as boys. Um, I can remember going through my fire phase, all right? And I'm going to share this with you so that parents have hope for their children, okay? Because I shared this in an earlier service, and my mom's like, you are grounded. Like, I, am, I didn't know you did that. You are grounded now, you know? So, but I turned out okay, all right? So it's okay, okay. But, I mean, you know, go through that phase, and I remember finding out about matches and lighters and... We used to just light everything on fire. As a boy, we'd be like, I think that'll burn. Try that, you know? And uh, I can remember once we were in Egan, and then we had biked to the McDonald's, and uh, afterwards we were just looking for things to light on fire. And um, yeah, it's true. And we lit these things on fire, and the fire started to get a little out of control, and we didn't know what to do, and there was no water around, and we are thinking, like, what do we have? And we had just bought spray paint, which is a whole other story. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and so we're like, spray the spray paint on there. Do not do that. Don't do that. Because then all of a sudden, the fire just went, and it, and it spread everywhere. And for about the next 15 minutes, we were stomping fire. And I threw those shoes away and told my mom and dad, I lost those shoes. Okay? So that's true. Um, we lit Christmas trees on fire. Again, don't do, they burn fast. And uh, our friends, our neighbor's house was all burned up the side from that. Um, yeah, and then I won't tell you how we did this, but as a kid, we used to light our clothes on fire at night and run down the street when cars were coming, so we'd freak them out, then run and, and pat it out. 
There's hope for your children. There's hope for your children. Pray for your kids right now. If you have a child, lay your hands on them right now. Pray for them. It's fire. It's fire. I'm glad it was a phase for me, though. You know, I'm glad it was a phase and uh, got out of it. Now, in the Bible, there's a lot of amazing things. We talked about the stories, but God answers by fire. He brings divine judgment by fire. His holiness is symbolized by fire. Matter of fact, when Isaiah says, I'm filthy, I'm undone, God takes a coal from the altar and cleanses his lip. It's, it's like a, a cleansing that is going on. Fire is seen as a purifier. Fire is seen as a refiner of, of us and changes us into his image. And in Malachi chapter 3, it's a chapter that we're very familiar with, with tithing, but we should be familiar with it about being purified. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? It's talking about God. For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and, and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. It's that thought of God just refining us and forming us into his image, and it's something going on with fire. It's a symbol of divine protection because when God led his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, he was a cloud by day to cover them from the sun, and he was a pillar of fire at night to give them heat and be a nightlight and to protect them. There's something going on there. And it's also a symbol of power. And as we look at all those stories, we're going to see that it's beautiful that fire in many ways represents just an aspect or a way for us to have a modern day, an illustration that we can see to understand more about God. And I love that fire. I love that fire is one of those things that kind of explains or helps us to understand who God is because how many know you can't contain like fire in your hand? It's there, you can hold what holds the fire, but you can't hold it in your hand. How many know that fire moves around and it changes shapes and it, there's just like a mystical quality to fire. I know at a bonfire, you can just stare at it and it just can kind of take you in. And I'm just telling you, there's something about God that has this, that he has this mystical part that you just can't figure him out and he's beautiful and powerful and there's awe and there's respect, but there's intrigue. And so as we look at fire, I believe we're gonna learn a lot about God and a lot about ourselves. So today, Moses in the burning bush, and I know that many of you have been in church for a long time, I understand that, but we have water baptisms here and you see that people are just recently followers of Jesus. And I'm never gonna assume that people that are recent followers of Jesus or new to our church know all the story. And there's things that have been driven home to me with this. Uh, years ago, DreamWorks did uh, a movie called The Prince of Egypt, and it was about the life of Moses. And so we brought the kids to the movie, and, you know, we're walking out. We're saying, pretty good movie, you know, like pretty close and pretty good. How many of you know, Christians kind of evaluate it by how close it is, you know? And I'm like, yeah, pretty good, you know, if we're talking. Well, this couple is in front of us walking out of the movie. This is what they said. The one looks at the other one and goes, I heard that's based on a true story. And I was like... Do you not know? Like, that's in the Bible. Like, that's Moses. That's, that, that really happened. That is based on a true story. And so I will never assume that people in our church know all the story. And so I try to fill it in and bring you up to speed. So the best I can, I'm going to bring you up to speed. That's why we're going to look at Acts 7 before we go to Exodus 3. To, to fill you in, in Acts 7, Stephen is a deacon. He's a young leader in the church that has been formed by Jesus. 
And Stephen is going to be persecuted, and ultimately, he's going to give his life for Jesus Christ. The mob hates that he's following Jesus. And so Stephen starts to preach, and he gives basically the history of God's involvement with mankind. And he said, God chose Abraham. And from Abraham, God said he'd bring a promise that would be Jesus. And he said, in between Abraham and Jesus, here's the story. And he goes in and fills in all the blanks, and he tells the people, and he tells the part of the story that we're going to look at today about the life of Moses. And he says, God's people were in Egypt, and they were slaves, but God had a plan, and he brings forth Moses. So we pick it up in Acts chapter 7, verse 17. He says, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, a number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up to her as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight, and he went over to get a closer look. He heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Okay, so that brings us into the story, and now we'll turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen, and it's here for you. Some of it will be a repeat, but again, now you know how we got here, and we're going to hear a little more about the story. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see what this strange sight is. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out before because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And just so you know, anything that's a site is not usually good in the Bible, all right? Hittites, Jebusites, Perizzites, not good, all right? None of them, all right? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way of the Egyptians that they're oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. All right, so according to the Bible in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, all these things are written for our example. There's something in this story for us to grow, to know more about God, to know about the story, and to be able to take our walk with God to another level. So we're gonna dig into this. And the first thing I wanna tell you that I observed from this story is Moses thought he was out of the story. Moses thought he was out of the story. What do I mean by that? He was raised in Egypt with the understanding that God had put him in a little basket. His mom had put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter had rescued him. And he's got to be thinking, God, you put me in the story. You saved me at a time when other kids were being killed, when the Egyptians were killing the Israelite males. You saved me. I must have been saved for a purpose. I must be part of this story. I've been educated in the best. I know trigonometry and geometry. I know science, music, art. I know military. And he's thinking, I'm in the story. Imagine, he's probably hearing this as he's growing up, and all of a sudden he's realizing, like, I think I'm part of this. He gets angry. He kills the Egyptian. He flees for his life, and now he's out in the desert. He's got to be thinking that he's out of the story that God has done with him because year after year after year goes by, nothing, nothing. 40 years are going by and he thinks he's out of the story. Matter of fact, he's gone from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low because in Egyptian culture, a shepherd was as low as you could go. So he's thinking, I was in the palace. I had it all and I thought God was going to use me and this is great. Now I have the worst possible job. I am watching sheep. And I'm sure his imagination was running wild, thinking like, I bet you they're making fun of me back in Egypt. I bet your parents are disciplining their kids, being like, don't pull a Moses on me. You know? <laughs> That's the way our minds think. And he's probably just thinking, it's over. I am nothing but a shepherd. Matter of fact, he names his first son Gersha. And that name means driven or thrust out. So you can imagine when he, he's so depressed, he's so down in his life, he's thanking God that he's alive, but he's depressed to the point he names his kid driven, thrust out. You imagine him meeting another person, you know, like, hey, how you doing? You know, they're gathering water at the well. I was like, this is my son driven and thrust out. And the people are like, really? Yeah, yeah, you know, I used to be with Egypt. I was like a prince, now I'm a shepherd. So I named my kid Driven. I mean, how many know when you're depressed and you think God doesn't know where you live and you think he's not gonna use you anymore? You're like, this is my kid, depression and dark days. I mean, that's how it feels, <laughs> right? It just feels like that. And he had to have been feeling that, that I'm over, I'm done, there's no way. And, and there's no record of God speaking to Moses before this. There's no record. He knew the story. There's no record, matter of fact, of God breaking in and speaking to people in the Bible where this story takes place for 400 years. 
So you talk about dark, left out, no hope, wondering where God is. That's what has to be going on in his mind. And I'm telling you this, if you could identify with this, I don't feel like God knows where I'm at. I feel like I'm out of the story. I thought he was using me. Now he's not. I'm on the bench. I don't know if he even knows where I'm at. He knows where you're at. He knows where you're at. He has his eye on you. He will take care of you. If he can find Moses in the desert, he can find you wherever you're at. You've got to believe that. You, you say, well, I'm just living a ho-hum, boring, faithful life. That's okay. Be faithful. Keep your attitude positive. Be ready for the moment that God has the one-day thing that changes everything because he knows where you live. And it's important to never forget that. I'm going to be very vulnerable to you um, and just share a story, uh, an illustration to help you understand it in my own life. Um, had an opportunity to go to Hillsong Conference uh, in Australia, and I was going to do a, a breakout session for church planting. So I was kind of excited about that. I was a guest. I was there with all the other speakers. And you may not know it, but they have a section of speakers there. And there's, you know, a couple hundred people there in this special speaker section because it's a big conference. And uh, I was kind of hoping that I'd, you know, just a little pride. I was kind of like, man, maybe I'll be up there, you know, by Louis Giglio and Judah Smith, Stephen Furtick, you know, all these people on the front. And, and they show me my seat and they're like, you're back here, like on the last row. I'm like, wow, last row, guest of honor. All right, God, thank you, good, all right. And uh, I'm like, who's sitting next to me? It was all missionaries. I'm like, I'm in the missionary section, all right. Good, <laughs> praise God, all right. And as I'm sitting there, God's like, oh, is that gonna be your attitude today? And I'm like, no, no. It was gonna be my attitude, but I am changing. And he's like, it's not about you. Are you here for me or are you here for you? I'm like, I'm here for you. So I'm sitting there enjoying the conference. I'm like, God, I'm on the back row. I'm getting to know the missionaries. They're awesome people. Uh, I'm going broke supporting them though. And uh, yeah, so this is going on. And, and, and I, my attitude, I'm just gonna tell you, my attitude changed. God had a moment of smack down the pride and I'm just enjoying the conference. And out of the random, they come up to me, they said, hey, Pastor Brian Houston, he leads the whole conference. They said, he's looking for somebody to interview in the next session, and we thought of you. Just God put you on our heart, and we wanna interview you and talk to you. It's gonna be on this topic about pastoral relationships. It's to be a Q&A. Are you able to do that? I'm like, absolutely. They're like, all the pastors will be there. I'm like, perfect, that's great. And I'm like, and God goes, I know what row you're on. I know what row you're on. And so I'm like, wow, God, that's so cool. I'm gonna do this interview. I get in there and Brian comes up to me. He goes, you know what God told me? He said, you're supposed to teach. I'm not supposed to do a Q&A with you. You're just supposed to teach. So go ahead, teach. And I'm like, okay, great. And I had a little bit of notes. I taught and did it. And afterwards, God was like, never, never doubt that I know what row you're on what city you live in, what state you're in, what country, what continent, what desert, never doubt. I know where you are. You stay close to me. You keep your attitude right. You stay faithful, and I will figure out where to move you. That's what we have to do. That's what we all have to do, every one of us. He told Moses, you're in the story. You're in the story. You thought you had 40 years of nothing. You're in the story. It must have taken 40 years to get Moses to a spot where he could finally use him. And he says, you're in the story. And the interesting thing is he quotes, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hides his face because he's like, I'm in the story. Those are the heroes. I'm in the story, God. I can't believe you have put me in the story. It's an amazing thing. You don't have to be perfect to be in the story. We'll get to that in just a second. Another thing that I see from this is God initiates the action. 
God initiates the action. Moses is just being faithful, and God shows up with the burning bush. And I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes we try to force it. Sometimes we try to make it happen. And God's like, don't worry. I will initiate it on my time. And there was something critical that happened. The Pharaoh had died, and the people thought, hey, there's been a regime change. Maybe there's a chance that God will hear our cry, and he'll rescue us. So they start crying out, and it says, they cried. God heard them. He remembered his covenant. He looks on them and says, those are my kids. I'm going to do something. And he says, I'm breaking in. I'm doing it. I'm initiating it. Who's ready to be used by me? And God initiates it. And we serve a God that initiates and sends. And there have been so many things. I will tell you this honestly. People sometimes will say to me, like, what's the secret of that with the church and the secret of that and the secret of that? And, and they think that we're brilliant. And I just say, God breaks in and we say yes. God breaks in and we say yes. When we bought the building in Apple Valley, we weren't even trying to buy the building in Apple Valley. The landlord came to us. I believe God initiated it and, and people were like, what a great move. I'm like, yeah, great move. We didn't even know. I mean, it just happens like that. I'm telling you, we went multi-site because God initiated it. It wasn't part of our long-term strategy. God initiates. We serve a God that he initiates, and so don't worry about it. He'll do it. Another thing is when he initiates, he allows us to participate because Moses participated in the story. Now, this is just an honor for all of us. God doesn't need to use us. He chooses to use us. If God could start a bush on fire in the desert and it wasn't burned up, don't you think like he could have lit one of Pharaoh's shrubs on fire, you know? And he could have been also, and then Pharaoh's there and God's like, let him go or I'll burn your country down. You know what I mean? He could have done that. He could have done anything he wanted, okay? He was so powerful that he brought the plagues and he wanted everyone to know who was God, but he could have done anything he wanted. Now grab this. He invited Moses into the process, and the thing that amazes me about this is Moses wasn't perfect, we're not perfect, he's holy and amazing, and yet he uses us. And that's why he says, you know, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And here's what I want us to do here and at all of our campuses. This is true, I really want you to do this. I want you to kick off your shoes, your sandals, or whatever. I'm gonna do the same. I want us to do this to acknowledge he's holy, he's amazing, and we're not. And it's incredible that he uses us in his for his glory and in his ministry. So I'm kicking mine off here as well. Do you know in the culture in that day, in the culture in the day when God tells Moses to kick off his shoes, to take off his sandals, do you know what that was? That was a confession of unworthiness. It was a confession of him saying, I'm unworthy I'm unworthy, and we all, with our shoes off right now, need to just realize we're unworthy. Can I tell you this? You're unworthy. There's nothing you could do that it could ever make God say, finally good enough to use. So good. It's grace. It's grace. And God uses imperfect people, and we need to be very gracious and forgiving and understanding and loving because God chooses to use a bunch of people that are unworthy to advance his cause. Your life group leader may not be perfect, but they're willing to say, God, I've taken off my shoes. I'm willing to be used by, I'm unworthy, but if you say lead, I'll lead. 
You're, people are just not perfect, but they're used by God, and it's an incredible thing. And, and God comes down to us, but in taking off our shoes, we're saying, God, we want to come up to you. We want to be holy. We want to be like you. Interesting thing. How many know when your shoes are on, you walk without even thinking about it? You got shoes on, you're just walking, you don't even think about it. You can, it doesn't matter if there's rocks or whatever or things in the ground, you don't think about it because you have your shoes on. It's kind of a careless walk, if you will. But how many know when your shoes are off, you're kind of like, uh, 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 don't step there, don't step there. Some of us ought to live that way. God, I don't want to step there. I'm taking my shoes off. You're holy. I don't want to step in that anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live careless. I want to live used by you. You're holy. And thank you for using this unholy vessel. But I pledge to be more like you, to be more holy, and I will walk more careful, carefully as you've called me to do this. Man, it's amazing. He used Moses. He was a killer with an anger problem. Think about that. He was a killer with an anger problem, and he used Moses. It's an amazing thing, and we don't have time to develop this, but think about how amazing God is. We're unholy. Every one of us is unholy and unworthy. And God says, I'm going to come and live inside you. He's a holy God living inside of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, only because of what Jesus did. That's what makes it possible. And he says, what I'm going to do is from the inside, I'm going to change you. And I get this picture almost of like our blood cells fighting against other bad things and the Holy Spirit's inside of us fighting against the flesh and the things that are bad. And he loves us so much as unholy as we are, he places himself within us to give us the power to do everything he asks us to do. God is amazing. God is amazing and he uses us. So please don't think, well, I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not good enough, but God can use you and he uses unholy people to do amazing things. Another thing is God assigns the job and provides the power. He assigns the job and provides the power and it scares Moses to death. And here's how many times you can know if what God is calling you to is really God. It scares you. It scares you. You almost want to excuse your way out of it. You're like, uh, I don't want to do it because Moses, and we didn't read it, but it's in the next chapter. Uh, in that chapter, in the next one, he says, I'm not qualified. He says, who am I? Who am I? I mean, I, I'm just Moses. And God's like, I'm with you. And then Moses is like, okay, I'm not authorized. What if they say like, you know, who sent you? What's your degree or whose power are you coming in? What's the name of who will I say? And God says, you tell them I am that I am sent you. And what does that mean? It means you tell them the complete, total, perfect, pure, not limited in any way, unlimited power God sent you. And Moses is like, okay, um, but what? I'm not very believable. How many know he keeps giving excuses? I'm not believable. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to convince them. And God's like, take the staff in your hand, throw it down. It turns into a snake. He says, pick it up by the tail, which is not what you would do. And so he picks it up by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. He says, take your hand, put it inside your shirt, takes it out. It's leprosy. Put it back in. It's clean. God's like, okay, do you believe me? And he's like, Okay, God, but you don't understand. I don't speak well. And in chapter 4, verse 11, uh, he's saying, like, I, I don't speak well. God says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and will teach you what to say. And then the, one of the dumbest scriptures in the whole Bible, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. After all that, 
And I'm thinking, he's speaking to a burning bush. <laughs> Staff, snake, leprosy, no leprosy. Send somebody else. I just, I don't know if I could do this, you know. Uh, and showing you the patience of God. It says God was angry, but he still used him and said, all right, I'm going to use your brother. It's going to be a tag team thing. You and Aaron are going to do this. I'm going to tell you this. If God assigns you to do the job, he's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the power to do it. You're thinking in your own strength. You're thinking in your own power. And I bet if we could ask Moses, like, why did you say that? He'd say, fear is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. I had lived in fear and fear had gripped me and I just didn't know how powerful God was. Fear was so much stronger in my mind and, and if I could go back and say it over, I'd do it over. And I'm telling you what, it's not by might. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. And if he's gonna give you the job, he is gonna give you the power to get it done. Last thing, all this was bigger than Moses. All this was bigger than Moses. Sure, Moses got back into the action, but it wasn't about Moses saving face or being able to go back into the action. It was about God delivering his people. It was a bigger story. It was a bigger story. And when God calls you to do something, it's a bigger story than you. It's a bigger story than you. You're like, man, I feel the tug to lead a life group. It's a bigger story than you. Overcome your fear and say yes. When God tells you to go on a global team, it's a bigger story than you. Overcome that fear and say yes. When God calls you to give, overcome the fear and realize it's a bigger story than you. God has so much more going on and you get to be part of it, but don't miss it. In verse eight, he said, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm just praying that God will interrupt our faithful, God will interrupt our normal, and I'll say, hey, I've got something bigger than you that's gonna advance my kingdom. I wanna use you. I know you're not perfect, but I'm gonna use you. I know you have excuses. I don't wanna hear them. I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna do this for my glory and for my honor. It's bigger than you. Let me use you. So Lord, I just pray right now that you'd help us to all understand that we all could be at different parts of this story. I'm sure there's some that feel like you've forgotten about them. I just even feel right now there, there are people that maybe were in ministry or parachurch ministry. They were leaders and they feel like, I'm just forgotten. I'm just forgotten. Why do you have me here, Lord? You haven't forgotten them. You haven't forgotten them. You know where they live. You know where they're going. You know the plans that you have for them. I know there's lots of people, Lord, you're tugging on their heart and you're saying, this is what you need to do next. And we just love to give excuses. We love to say fear is bigger. But God, I pray that we wouldn't say fear is bigger. We'd say, God, if you're calling me, I'm jumping into the story. And I thank you, God, that when you call us, it's for people that aren't even here yet. It's for people that aren't even here yet. Sometimes we say, Lord, they don't even need more help. But that's because we're looking at the now and not what's coming. And so, God, I pray that we'd realize it's bigger than our now. It's bigger than just us. It's for your glory and for your honor. So wherever we're at in the story, Lord, we thank you that you appeared to Moses in that burning bush. And from this, we know more about you, more about ourselves, more about how we can be used by you. And we say, here we are, God. Send us, use us. Use us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.